Hey everybody, welcome out to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host, Mike Laidman, and I'm joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week we take a movie from our past and we have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. How you doing, hon? I am doing okay. Um, had pizza for lunch, so I mean, life's pretty good. Yeah, you? you're you're about as full as you can be with pizza for lunch. Yep, I, yeah. it was delightful. So I mean, that always puts me in a good mood. You? Yeah, I mean, I had pizza for lunch also, and it's really good pizza. And it's the pizza that kind of is the reason that we do this show. Too. Yeah, it kind of it launched us. Sponsor us, my pie. Yeah, Sponsor my pie. us. We need a my pie sponsorship and a, and a bad monkey popcorn. Bad monkey popcorn sponsorship. You see, we're already because, halfway there. Yeah, uh, we'll start sending out the emails. Or you start sending out the emails. Nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah, because I, I have a marketing degree. I don't. <laughs> and I, it's not like I worked for advertising. Oh yeah, you actually did. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I uh, forgot about that. Yeah, but it, getting into the episode this week, we will be talking about Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, not Friday the Thirth which is what I wrote down in my notes. Oh boy. <laughs> Off to a roaring start. Which originally hit theaters back in 1982. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. <laughs> Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are one through 12 because these are Jason's woods and nobody leaves them alive Friday the 13th part 3 a new dimension in terror it will scare you count on it Man, 1982. That was a uh, long, long time ago. Before either of us were even born. Let's see if I can take you back to 1982. (laughs) So the fun thing about 1982, August 1982 to be exact, not a lot of fun stuff going on. A lot of trouble in Beirut. Lots of trouble. Mm-hmm. A lot of news uh, by that. A lot of nuclear tests by both the United States and Russia. Not, not super fun. A lot of just minor baseball happenings. A lot of professional golf happenings. Nothing nothing really like standing out. Like, you know, like this, you know, world shattering, changing, fun event. So nothing. Cold War and sporting events. Yeah, kind of. That's all it was Kind of. Uh, and even more fun uh, as we are doing a movie, uh, the... The real number one of the campground slasher movies. The same week this movie came out, David Shearing kills a family of six at a campground in Kamloops, British Columbia. Terrible timing. And and here you say that nothing fun was going on. Could you imagine if that happened today? The movie would get postponed. Oh, definitely. 100%. But actually at a campground. This actually happened to a family of six. How crazy is that for bad timing? Was he wearing a hockey mask? That would have been even worse. No, apparently it was worse than that. So anyway. Wait, what? It was I, worse than a hockey mask? Uh, there's kids. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, at least this movie's fun. But <laughs> in actual fun news, the following people were all born this month. You, you ready for this? Okay. Lolo Jones, Adrian Curry. Devin Aoki, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Mark Salling, the guy with the child born from Glee, 
Erica Christensen, Melissa Fumero, John Mulaney, and Leanne Rimes were all born in August 1982. Wow. I, I would not expect all those people to be the exact same age. That's true. And I didn't necessarily, I don't know what it is about the name that stuck out to me the most there was John Mulaney. And yeah. even though, like, I have no reason to not think that he's older than me. I didn't think he was older than me. I not don't know by why. not by much. He looks very young. Yeah, this is but true. he is the same age as uh, Amy from uh, Bro- Brooklyn Nine Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine Nine and uh, Adrian Curry from America's Next Top Model fame, now a famous reality person on Twitter who plays World of Warcraft. I know her. Leanne Rimes, who you know was a huge country star back mm-hmm. in the day, and I now I think is on one of those Real Housewives shows or something. I don't know. She's got some marital drama, and that's really what's keeping her name in the biz these days. But then you got someone like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's you know a corrupt Politico. So I mean, lots of lots of stuff. Lolo Jones, who I don't really know much about for her sporting career, except that she was on Celebrity Big Brother. Big Brother. So yeah. August, it always comes back to Big Brother with you. August 1982, kind of a weird one. A real weird one to travel back to. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, we weren't born, so nothing really, you know, registers too much as like... Nothing I important remember. Nothing important happened until I was born. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Let's put it that way. Well, what about this movie? What, <laughs> now, now, this movie... Okay, so actual and interesting, this movie was the second movie... To bump E.T. out of the number one spot. The first being Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And then E.T. took it back. And then this movie bumped it out. And this movie brought in uh, $9.4 million its opening weekend, which broke Halloween 2's record for number one opening for a slasher film. This was a number one film with $9.4 million. 1982. This is like $8 billion today, huh? I know. It's such a different time. Anyway. Yeah, E.T. took the title right back again. E.T. was very interesting. It jumped back into the number one spot over the course of most of the year. Uh, Other films that it was beaten by and then beat again were An Officer and a Gentleman, Amityville 2, First Blood, Creep Show. E.T. is the movie just kept on going, kept going number one. Uh, It actually had one week the lowest amount for a box office number one at just over $2 million. That was number one that week. Yeah. At just over $2 million. And that record has not been broken until COVID-19. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. because nobody was going to the movies and nothing was getting released. So that record got beat by about $71,000. Don't think that's going to get beat anytime soon. What beat it? But, oh, the what's the one with the the Pixar one? with the, the Oh, Onward? Onward. Uh, I wanted to say Odyssey. I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, crazy. No I let's hope that doesn't it. get broken again. Yeah, no, no. No wonder they released that movie straight to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, so uh, the top movies of the year were E.T., obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Rocky Three, and On Golden Pond. This movie actually came in at number 20 for the year. Hmm. It did quite well. Especially for horror movies that tend to not do well. It was the early 80s. Slasher right. films were the hot ticket for horror films. So, yes, it, it honestly did. Very, very well. It's still one of the highest grossing slasher films, highest grossing Friday the 13th films, which we're also counting, you know, remakes and crossover films and that. So overall, it it has a very good standing in horror history, which is part of the why we got to do it. And also because it was number one once. Right. I'm curious as to, to what your memories are of this movie, because my memories of this movie 
basically start and end with you. Oh, because uh, I didn't. I I was not like a big horror fan. You know, like I didn't watch a lot of horror. Most of my horror that I was I was into before I started dating you was sci-fi horror. Fair. So I was watching things like Alien and The Thing and and stuff like that. Resident Evil. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that I was into. So slashers, when it came down to it, I I mean, I watched like a scream here and there kind of a thing. And I'd seen Friday the 3rd. Uh, I'm not sure which one. I'd seen some of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. I'd seen some of the Friday the 13th. I think my first Friday the 13th movie might have been Freddy versus Jason. Really? I thought you were going to say the remake. No, no. With uh, the guy from Supernatural, Jason Padalecki. Yeah, no, I saw that. I didn't, no, no, I didn't see that with you because- I was, definitely saw that in theaters. But I, I saw that in theaters, yeah. Anyway. But that was, that came out before we were dating. Yeah. So, yeah, but I definitely saw that in theaters. Yeah. No, I distinctly remember watching this one at my neighbor's house growing up during a sleepover because of the 3D glasses. She had 3D glasses and we watched it with the 3D. I distinctly remember- in her rec room, in her basement, just kind of like we watched it here in our rec room, in our basement, mm-hmm. trying out the 3D, it not working very well. But we watched it with the 3D glasses because we had it on VHS and it was with 3D. Like that's how you watched it. You know, we rented it from the movie rental place in town. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I just remember really like because we uh, every week we'd rent like a different slasher film and we always went for the slasher films like every time like because that was. That was what was cool in the mid '90s, right? Like slasher movies were, especially after Scream came out, it was a matter of going out and watching all these slasher films, even at like 11, 12 years old, to get the references. And I remember watching this one because we distinctly this is the first one I saw in the series, and uh, I distinctly remember watching it first because it had 3D. Did uh, that's the reason it was the 3D? Yeah. Okay. It was a selling point, and it was obviously the selling point for a lot of people back in the '80s too. God, I remember. I remember the first time I was ever exposed to this kind of 3D, which was the red and blue glasses yeah. 3D. Was I had a sticker book? Do you remember sticker books? Yeah, I had a <gasps> Simpsons sticker book. Wow, and it was like the thing. That, this is the thing that you'll be like, "What is the Simpsons sticker book?" It was the cartoons from the Tracy Ullman show. It wasn't the actual Simpsons Really? Episodes. So I remember there goes all the ones where like Bart goes in the bathtub and he lets the water run too long and then he has like a Jacques Cousteau fantasy. Yes. So stuff like that. And that and that had the 3D glasses in it. And that was my first real taste of the red blue glasses 3D. I'm pretty sure she just had them because like out of like a sticker book or something. Cause that was the thing in the nineties, they came with all sorts of crap. Yeah. And I remember something came out a little while ago, like not even a little while, like a long while ago that had the blue red 3d and people were looking for the glasses everywhere and you couldn't find them. Yeah. It was like something, something on TV was going to do it or something. And people were like, look, I remember it was when I was working at the comic store and people were like, do you guys have 3d glasses? I was like, no. And all of a sudden, we had this huge rush of people coming in. This would have been like 2008, 2009, being like, do you guys sell those those cardboard 3D glasses? And I just remember being like, why is everyone asking for these right now? And I don't know what it was for. I don't remember. But it was like a big thing. And like, but I remember even then thinking, can't you just get those like at any like Toys R Us with like purchase of some sort of crappy little 3D toy? Because when we were kids, those 3D like that was everywhere. Yeah. It was super, because we just grabbed a pair that we had, you know, with toys and watched the movie that way. I, I again, my 
my memories of this film were from watching it with you on DVD because you bought the four pack. You decided all of a sudden you were going to get all the ones that you had or didn't have, and yep. and you got uh, the first four on on one pack, and 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 we watched that together whenever you got that. That was at our old apartment, so that was years ago. Yeah, it's and been then, a long time. And then this time, and this is the second time I've seen it. So it's funny because wow. I remember we watched we went on a ramp like on a run yep. of Friday the 13th movies. So there was a lot of blending together of, we, of th- Friday the 13th movies. Which is fair because I literally the same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. And even then, because like when we talked about this movie last week about doing it, I was like, oh yeah, well this is, this is the one where, you know, he gets the mask. Yeah. It's in 3D and it's, it's the first appearance of Tommy, which it's not. It's not yeah. That's number four. Yeah. That's final chapter. And I just, I had mixed them up completely and I mixed up the final girl forgetting that because this movie starts with the end of number two uh, and the final girl and then picks up an entirely new cast after that. Yeah. And I forgot that too. Cause like they all do kind of start to blend together. The only one where I feel like it's almost like a little more distinctive besides when he's in space. That one's and, pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. But of like the, the original, obviously the first one's not him. And, but like the deaths and the other characters kind of blend together more, except for really the one in space and the remake and Freddy vs. Jason. The rest of them, like a lot of the characters run, especially because you start getting into characters like Tommy that are appearing movie to movie to movie, even though he's played by different actors at that point and such. Yeah. I feel like the only one that sticks out besides the one that you were you've mentioned is the the New York one. Fair. Because so much of it is is in not camp places. Yes. So Yeah. But but this movie, let's get into this movie. And like you said, like the first like ten minutes of this movie are the end of the last movie. Yeah, because what happened with the it and again, this is why it bleeds together so like easily, but originally it was supposed to be about the final girl, Jenny who's played by Amy Steele. And even Amy Steele was like, yeah, I was going to come back. But then it came down to something with like my agent or the producers and or something. But it, whatever happened, I'm not in it. And she had an outline for what they were going to do. It was going to be her character waking up in an insane asylum and like the trauma and then like going back to college and dealing with it and then hunting down Jason and like doing it that way. And that's how they get back to the campground, the whole thing. And obviously that's not the route they went. Literally, it's her. That's the end. And then... It literally picks up with Jason recovering from his injuries the next day and attacking these people. So technically, this movie, Saturday the 14th. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Canonically, this isn't even Friday the 13th. And it came out on Friday the 13th. But here we are. It's Saturday the 14th. Yeah. It's no. Saturday the 14th. That's what they should have called it. Saturday See, the 14th. And, and the funny thing is, is like this whole sequence happens. And then- the the actual movie starts and and after the, all the stuff that you just told me, why didn't they just take that part out? <laughs> like like they're just they kept the original sequence in there still. Well, I think it was so that like new audiences knew what was going on because like you always want to be able to introduce. You don't want just the same audience. You want to be able to bring in new audiences and set it up in a way that the new audience will get it. Because if you're just relying on old audiences coming back, your audience isn't going to grow. Fair, but I especially feel- before VHS. True. And home, people having home video. True. So, yeah, you might have had people who didn't. Who didn't so, you needed to do it. something like this. Okay. So, that makes more sense. Because, like, 
really what I felt was they could have, because there's a sequence right after that whole bit is shown again, where somebody's watching a news program and there's like a, a PS to what we all just watched. And I felt like they could have condensed all of that information into the... It was quite long. Yeah. It was, especially for a character that wasn't going to come back at all. Yeah. It was quite long. They they did the entire final girl showdown with Jason, like from start to finish. And uh, funnily enough, because like it really gets into the whole, like she puts on, you know, Pamela Voorhees' sweater and like makes him think that she's his mother and that whole chestnut and then none of that really comes into play in this movie. Yeah. So you'd think, okay, well, the you know, for someone who's watched all the movies where you think like there is foreshadowing something that doesn't happen. And at the same time, I found I didn't really care. <laughs> like I, cause it's one of those things I didn't even think of until now, just now thinking about it. And I'm just like, oh, well, it wasn't the end of the world. And I don't know. I've got a less critical eye for these movies. I think then, because uh, like a, the love of the genre and like the knowledge of the genre, these movies are made for dirt cheap. There's always between, there's so many sequels that between the sequels, like the writing team changes, the production team changes, the the acting teams changes, the actor playing Jason changes. Like, it's just like, there's no consistency, but that's almost part of the charm of it because of the way these movies were made. Right. So I can get behind it. I I don't mind. I do think, yeah, like, but there's something about that opening that is unique to it, which I'm on board with. And then, of course, the 3D titles pop out yes. of her head, yes. and it's amazing. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote 3D coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and of, of course, the 3D titles is underlined by the amazing disco version of the theme. Yes. Oh. Which amazing like i wish the entire soundtrack was this disco music because it really added some extra fun right at the beginning yeah and not even like just like the music through the whole thing is great like i forgot how good the soundtrack because like when you think of like the classic slasher soundtrack you think halloween mm -hmm. and then maybe some like exorcist but like this movie has a great soundtrack with it some memorable very, tune it had a very jaws sound to it yeah i can see that yeah like that's how it felt like to me was i was listening to it and there's, there's like little sound cues there's even actually there's a scene where somebody's got their feet in the water and it really sounds like the jaws theme so i assume that was very intentional. probably very intentional but, at that uh, point yes but yeah so i, I wrote down henry manfredi or manfredi or whatever <laughs> he was the composer thank you for that disco theme that was, yeah that was, it was delightful yeah. and like but even that everything about this movie and it's because of the 3d there is that air of it's fun like the movie starts out obviously with this opening but then it literally it's these 3d credits rocketing out of de decomposing like dismembered head and then you get right into scenes where like you've got harold and his wife at the opening who have nothing to do with the rest of the movie but like you're more involved in their characters than you are of anybody else yeah that point. I, I wrote this down too I wrote that the shop owner and his wife are the most developed characters in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's, he, he's out there and like, they've got like a pole and the pole like goes right at the screen and they're doing all sorts of things where they're like, he holds up a, a snake at one point and it's like right at the screen and right. like, with this, like, or he, it pops out and yeah, like, you can see the wires on the TV. The rabbits or yeah. And like, there's all this stuff that happens that it's like, there's, the 3d pop outs because it's not like the 3d of today where you've got like avatar where it's meant to enhance the viewing experience this is 3d 
to be 3D and to be yeah. fun and pop, pop, pop in your face. Yeah. Like, like when there's that Muppet skit where they make fun of 3D, where they have like the, the ping pong balls on yeah, the paddle. They and literally, stuff. This is in that, like this kind of stuff is in this movie. They do that over and over again. Not like, ironically, this is like to show off the 3D. And honestly, it's uh, it's fun. And you know what? And it's not because of the horror movies I watched a million times. But you know what I always hated? Because this movie has it and a lot of other horror movies. Like Halloween has it, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I hate taking laundry off the line. <laughs> well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and all our laundry in the spring, summer, and fall went out on a, a line on outside of the clothesline. And like, I'd get home from school and my mom would be like, make sure you, I'd leave a note being like, make sure you take the clothes off the line. And I'm like, oh damn it mom you know like i didn't want to but i still did it i just didn't want to i right. hated it so anyway I, f- I feel like the best clothesline scene in a movie is i i think it's the conjuring where one yeah of the, that yeah, was really good where a blanket flies off the ha- the, the, the line, line and, and like it hits nothing and somebody's there kind of and thing. then it blows away again yeah. yeah that's creepy uh also i did like that uh, harold was shitting in 3d in this movie <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, let's, let's, let's pause on the Harold and his wife scene because, like I said, Harold and his wife are the most developed characters in the they movie. They are. I got to know them. I liked them. They have. They have. A, their store ha- is covered in train decorations. Yeah. So you know that Harold just absolutely loves trains. Y- he loves animals. Yeah. He loves bunnies. And uh, I like just you learned so much about just the two of them, and just in that I wrote opening scene goes on forever but doesn't feel like it because like you know like the the scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie like you could have cut this section out entirely and it would not have changed anything and remembering back too because like this is the movie where he first gets the hockey mask and like again like this is how these movies bleed together when you've like watched them all especially because we went on a real run where we watched them all in like a two-week span and they do bleed together and I always, always, always remember, and obviously I'm wrong, but I always thought he stole the hockey mask from Harold's like from the shed shop. yeah, in the back where the rabbits were and stuff. I thought that's where he got the hockey mask from and he wore the hockey mask. No, he doesn't get the hockey mask for an hour. And that was something that I wrote down too, is I thought that he got the, the hockey mask way earlier. And I think what I'm remembering is- the 2009 remake where like the first like 20 minutes of that movie or the first three movies condensed together. Yeah. And cause he gets the hockey mask right at the beginning of that movie. Yeah. So that's what I think. I you know what? I think you're right. I think you're, you raised a really good point. I think you're, you're right there. And like, but the other thing with this opening scene and cause like you remember these movies as being goofy, silly, fun, and it is, but this movie actually has some really well done tension building and bait and switch where like you're expecting oh here he comes here he comes here oh oh it's just a bunny you know like and it actually does a really good job for what it is of building that tension i i thought they did a great job for something that you know you look back on oh let's watch the old friday 13 movies it's like oh they're not scary oh they're just silly fun da 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 and looking back and then now watching it i'm like there there's a few scenes in here where i was kind of like oh bite my nail a little like oh 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 getting a little nervous Mm -hmm. and it for what it uh, it is they do a good job of it what i i i thought of that i really enjoyed was that this movie does a much better job of foreshadowing things that come later Mm -hmm. than i i would have given credit 
to an, an old eighties Friday, the 13th movie. Like the one thing that struck me immediately of like, wow, they did, they foreshadowed this really early and, and I never caught it before was I knew that this was the movie where, and we're jumping ahead in <laughs> as we do, as we always do. But the, the scene where Jason kills the jock boyfriend yeah, and he's doing the handstand. Yeah. I always remember him doing the handstand and being like, why the hell was he doing the handstand? And then as we're watching the movie, like, so I remember like, oh, yeah, that's the dude that gets killed doing the handstand. And as we're watching the movie, there's a scene where somebody's looking at a window and they see him and he's doing the handstand. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. So they actually establish that this dude does random handstands for no reason early in the movie. So when he gets cut in half doing yeah. a handstand, it makes sense. Yeah. And that's a brutal one. That's a, but like, there's a lot of this stuff in this movie too, that I, I caught as like, you see referenced specifically. And I, I took note of them and I'm sure I missed so many of them because there's no way I've seen every, you know, horror movie that would have referenced this one. But this one is, I think, a lot more influential than people might give it credit for. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And like, just right off the hop. So like after he kills Harold and his wife and then, you know, he's off to, you know, keep on killing, you are introduced to this group of teens and the group of teens at the start they're loading up the van. You got the stoner friend. That's literally like the opening. Well, this, the second part of the opening to Cabin in the Woods. Right. And then you've got the van driving through like the woods on the way to the park. That that scene is spoofed like right, like almost shot for shot in parts of it from uh, Final Girls, which is a fantastic ode to the horror movie genre, like slasher genre. That's got Tessa for for me. I don't remember how to say her name. Thomas Middleditch. Yep. It's got quite a few people on it. The guy from Workaholics. So if you haven't seen like if you haven't seen that movie, it is super fun. It is a love letter to the genre and uh, I would highly recommend it. But you see this van going through the woods with a group of teenagers off for a fun week or weekend or whatever and it, it is almost like bang on there and I was just like, "Oh, wow, they they reference that like really quickly." And then almost immediately after that, you've got the next thing is uh they they run into the crazy man on the road. With yeah. the eyeball that he's like shaking yeah. at the camera. God wanted me to give this to you. Yeah, and yeah. it's like super 3D, this fake eyeball in your face, which was kind of gross, yeah, but yeah. awesome at the same time. But like there's the Harbinger from uh, Cabin in the Woods. Woods. Yeah. Like that right off the hop. Like you've got like the guy that is warning them, oh, don't go out there. Something bad's going to happen. And they don't listen because they're a group of teenagers off to get stoned and have fun. And it's... It's really funny that this movie, for being the third in the series, is so influential in that and a lot of that stuff. But it really is such a quintessential camp slasher. No, that makes sense to me. The Doom guy, as I as I refer to him, always makes me think of. I mean, and I even mentioned this to you during the when we were watching it. As um. The parody of it in Cannibal the Musical. Yeah. Where there's literally a dude going like, you're doomed. You're doomed. And he's like, just keeps going on and on about how doomed they are. That's what anytime that character archetype shows up, that's what I think of. But getting into the actual teens themselves, I did have a few notes when some some characters were introduced. Yep. The first was, don't be so hard on yourself, Shelly. Have confidence. And then later that note became... 
Shelly, I'm no longer on your side. <laughs> yeah, Shelly's a dick. Well, the actor who plays Shelly was basically discovered on the street. The the like casting person saw saw him handing out flyers for a horror film and was like, "Do you want do you want to be in a horror film?" Because they liked his look and it was like perfect for this this role of Shelly that they were casting. And because he's you know like the the stoner dumb friend who is just like there to kind of be annoying and he because he doesn't have any self-confidence also he was the fat one he was the fat one which is hilarious because he's not that fat in he's, comparison. he's 1982 fat he's 1982 fat which true, true. is not that fat by today's standards no. by a long shot no no he's like a little chubby a few other notes i wrote about shelly when he shows up for the first time with his his prop death where he's got the oh. fake hatchet in his head Another bit of great foreshadowing, because later when he actually dies, no one believes it. Like the person who finds his corpse doesn't believe it. For sure. Uh, Why would you? When he pulls the fake hatchet off his head, I was expecting it to just be like just the fake hatchet kind of a thing. But there's like a piece of fake fro on it. That's hilarious. Which I didn't catch the first time we saw this movie, but there's like a big hunk no, of No, I didn't throw. catch that this time either. Also, he's got this box of stuff. Like, it's not even a very big box of stuff where he's like, oh, yeah, this is my stuff that I carry around with me all the time. And in that box, he had a spear gun, an underwater spear gun. Yeah, why? A why? Working, a working underwater spear gun. Yeah, why? why would anyone need that unless you're like... Working on it. They're, they're not going to an ocean. Yeah. Like maybe the wetsuit I can get behind. Like what did he think to catch? He was going to catch in like Camp Crystal Lake. Like, yeah. I doubt there's any fish big enough to need a spear gun in this small lake. Right. And and also the, the hockey mask. Shelly is the reason that the hockey mask mm-hmm. is existing in, in Jason. And the funny thing is, is like he wears the hockey mask to scare somebody else. At what point was a goalie? so scary like like yeah you know, it works like, it works great though who the costume designer who came up with it because i i read it in the script it's just he needs to be wearing a, get a mask that will then be usable for future sequels for like something that'll rather than just a potato sack yeah and and the, the thing that, that's so great about it is like they make the hockey mask become iconic yeah and it's literally like dude shows up in a hockey mask and and like I mean, it, it it doesn't make any sense why a hockey mask is there, but it works. And I mean, obviously, it's become a, a piece of pop culture. Like a dude wearing a hockey mask is is synonymous with horror. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. it doesn't have to be Jason. It can just be a di- like Homer wears a hockey mask in an episode of Simpsons to be scary. You know, yeah. it's it's just really funny that it comes from this prop comic dude in the movie. Well, out of all the, the masks for the slashers, I would say it is the most iconic yeah and most replicated because it is so easy to replicate like Mm -hmm. if you want to get a mask for like it's going to be the cheapest one to get so it's going to be the easiest costume to do you know like it's it's easy to pick out whereas like spray painted william shatner mask might not be super easy to pick out if you're you're not a horror fan but if you are a horror fan you recognize friday's glove and you recognize jason's mask yeah Everyone knows those two things. And then you've got Michael Myers' mask and Leatherface mask and like the Chucky doll and every like those guys. But I would say Jason's mask and Freddy's glove are the two things, which is why like then you get like Freddy versus Jason later on is because they are the two biggest names 
when it comes to horror. And Jason has the highest kill count out of all the, the slashers by a long shot. Mm-hmm. He also went to space. Yeah, that's true. So that's why he's special. Yeah, he's super special. Yeah. He's also immortal. This is true. And at this point, he's not. He's just a dude. That's true. He he barely survives the, the wounds before, but he does and then comes back and this time seems dead. But obviously, we know now isn't because that that's the thing. After this one, they start getting into weirder and weird. it's like, well, he was dead. Yeah. I guess we're going to strike his grave with lightning yeah. to bring him back. Now he's a zombie. Yeah. Getting back to the teens. Yes. There was one other teen that I that I, I made notes about. Okay. And that was Rick. Oh, Rick. Yeah. Uh, Rick is really rapey during his introduction. Like yeah. really rapey. Also, Rick is like 40. Yeah. I find that's kind of a common thing you find in a lot of just movies in general is the high school student who's... Like actually 40. Did you know like just for example, Gabrielle Union has been playing teenagers for like 40 years. That's wow. <laughs> well, look at Greece. I mean, Stalker Channing was like 40 when she played Rizzo. But it, it I don't know. This it, is not a new thing. No, no, definitely not. But for whatever reason, it definitely sticks out. For yeah, Rick. He, like yeah. He, everyone else obviously is in like their 20s or whatever, but like he sticks out as being so much older and, and I, I didn't look it up or anything, but he's probably like in his thirties or whatever, but he, he just looks like he was born in 1955. So, so he would have been late. He would have been in his late thirties then. Was he really? Well, no, no, late twenties, no, late twenties. Dude looks like he's 40. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a yeah. little bit. Oh, he hasn't been much, but he's in two new things coming out. So there you go. Well, there you yeah. Go. 1955. One of the, it's funny the little things that you notice too that you're like, man, this movie is 38 years old, mm-hmm. which is scary on its own. The bikini has not changed one bit. The standard bikini still looks exactly the same. It's true. You could find the bikini that What's Her Nuts is wearing, the blue one. Yep. You yep. could find that at any point. Like right now, you could go to a store and be like, oh, end of season clearance and pick out a blue bikini that looks just like that. And it's very interesting the way different fashions come and go and change, but something like a bikini, like you can get things that are like embellished and blah, blah, blah. But it was really kind of neat to see like, yeah, as much as things change, some things just stay the same. When you, when you hit perfection and bikini technology, why change it? This is this is true. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually another thing that, that popped up and, and this is re- kind of around the time of the bikini scene too. Mm-hmm. And this is another of me confusing movies for one another is Shelly and the Spanish girl. That's literally like the only thing about her. I think her name is Fox. No, no. Fox is the, the girl who's the um, punk, the biker. Oh yeah. Oh no. I'm sorry. Cause she, yeah, I know who you're talking about my mistake. Yeah. Cause they, they introduce a girl at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And her Vera. Mother, yeah. Vera and Vera's mother is Spanish and they go into the house and they have a, a fight in Spanish. And that's like the only defining characteristic about Vera the entire movie. It says she's is spicy that she, Latina. Is that she's Spanish. She's there to be Shelly's date and she sort of doesn't like him, but then kind of warms to him later after he like runs over a biker's motorcycle. Yeah. That actually is pretty fun. Like, cause he, they run into this group of bikers near the i would say like top of the the first third of the movie like shelly and vera run into this group of bikers and uh they're obviously like they're dicks and my first thought seeing them is well pretty sure these people even if i hadn't seen this like intentionally just to be bodies in a body count and yep 
Hundred percent. But no, they actually there's there's some interesting things about about the bikers. They they do and like they do help with Shelley's character development because like you've got like he hits the the bikes and like tries to run down the guy and everything and they show up at the camp and but like at the same time like all that stuff I feel like is literally just being led to be extra bodies true but also while they're there they siphon the gas out of the car true. which gives them no re- a reason that they can't escape yes and you know what that does come back into play so you you know what you raise a good point this movie is smarter than as someone who is a fan even i give it credit for well something else that the that also came was fox the the female biker yeah well we're talking about the bikers and and this is the point i was trying to make in the first place when i brought up the bikers sorry i was thinking about a different Friday the 13th where there's like this other group of bikers and the one guy, they, they start singing back to each other. Like the one dude, the one dude has diarrhea from enchiladas. <laughs> He's like, Oh, these enchiladas. And he like runs and he hides in an outhouse. And then he and his girlfriend, another one of the bikers, they start singing back and forth to each other while he's taking a shit. Like he's in the shitter and they're like, Ooh, I don't remember baby. this at all. You don't remember this? No. This is definitely- No, I in- do remember because it was the guy who, um, like they were in the camper, right? No, no, I don't, maybe, I don't remember, but they were like, they were in like Michael Jackson 80s leather jackets yeah. and stuff. And then the one dude gets murdered in the shitter, like in the outhouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just, I was like, oh, when the bikers first showed up, I'm like, oh, where's the enchilada guy? And then he didn't show up. But, but what, what I really loved that the bikers led to is the bikers are out and they're stealing the gasoline and Fox just, just wanders off. You know, she's like, I don't know if we should be here. I'm going to go play in the barn, you know, yeah. which is really let's go get Fox killed. Yeah. When the other guy goes and looks for Fox, there's this amazing shot where he's walking through the top of the barn. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking, it does the slow pan and Fox is like stuck up on the wall with a pitchfork. Yeah. And like you, you don't see her death, but the reveal of her body is one of my favorite parts of this movie. Yeah? Yeah. It, that There's one other bit of amazing cinematography that's in the movie later, is when it's just Rick, and mm-hmm. I can't remember the main girl's name, when it's just the two of them left, and she goes outside to find him. She's like, Rick, where are you? And the camera pans over, and he is just like around the corner, being like strangled yes, by Jason. And then-, and then he squishes his head in a really poor And the shot. eye goes- Yeah, with the, the eye on the string. But that's shot. Like she comes out and she's like, Rick, where are you? And and he's being silently murdered. That that was in the other part of the movie that I really liked. Those two shots mm-hmm. were, were fantastic, fantastic shots. I have to say, every time she yelled Rick, all I could think was Amy Poehler on SNL being like, Rick, 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 Rick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things, like, because like, you're talking about like his face and like his cracking, Jason cracks his face and the eyeball pops. One of the things I really liked about this movie is uh, you don't actually see, like Jason's face is always obscured until he gets the hockey mask. Yeah, like he hides behind stuff and he's in the dark. and Yeah, and like it's not even like, it's not him doing it, I would say, like intentionally, quote unquote. Like obviously it was an intentional stylistic choice by the film, but as a character, I don't think, he, you know, he's doing it on, he's like, oh, I'm going to menacingly hide my face. He's obviously just hiding. But like they do a really good job of like, it feels natural the way he's, it's not like Austin Powers with the teacup hiding. Of it's, course, yes. It's a, a little bit more, you know, subtle, but at the same time, you 
you don't see his full form until he has the high, except obviously at the beginning of the movie, which doesn't count, but like, yeah, when he's played all, by a different actor. Yeah. And- it's all, uh, you know, episode two, episode two, movie two, <laughs> you don't see him until you get the full form. And it almost is like Jaws where you don't see the, the shark until halfway through the movie. You don't see him with the mask and full body until he kills Vera and he's wearing the hockey mask because she thinks it's Shelly who has the hockey mask and then he just shoots her with our gun. Yeah. She's like right through the eye, which yeah. What a way to go. Yeah. Why did he have a spear gun? I don't know. Why did that? does that. that, I don't know. I don't know why he had a spear gun. Uh, And then like, again, like we're right in, cause then at that point, like the kills start really ramping up at that point. Right. Like once you see him, it's just like, everyone's just getting, yeah, just just right after one area. They're all another. getting kiki ki ma 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 all the time. Yep. Just da, 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 da. In but the shower and and in the hammock. Well, and- in the hammock, yeah, the hammock bit is a great callback to what Mama did in number one to Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and like, but at the same time, like another one that I noticed, like they're running through the barn and stuff, and that's ripped off. Not ripped off. That is ripped on. In which I you watched with me, Leslie Vernon behind the mask, rise of Leslie Vernon. Yes, yeah. So sure. that that whole the the barn itself plays a very important role in that movie. And for those of you out there who haven't seen Behind the Mask, you last I checked because I bought it. Last I checked, you can get it pretty cheap on like Amazon. But it's a fantastic movie, and again, another love letter to the slasher genre. Like the people who are making these movies love these movies, and you can tell. And the barn in that is very similar to the barn in this one. And you could tell that the people who made that movie got that from specifically this movie. And the barn was always like one of my favorite because like I played the Friday the 13th game. Yes. And I really enjoyed a lot of the maps and stuff that were obviously this movie. Again, playing it at the time. I didn't realize because like they all meld together, but I was like, oh, oh, this is where I usually hide when I was playing that game. Oh, because once they're like running from him is when you start to like notice those sorts of things. It's like, oh, oh, I usually hide over here. And then you're or in the barn. I always like the barn. Big barn hider. Probably because there's so many like ins and outs and places to hide. And And she was really smart when she ran into uh, the barn and she hid up. Like on the rafters and not even just like up on the second, but she was actually yeah. holding onto a beam and hiding that way. That was really smart. But then she fell like what? Yeah. They, she like lets go basically like the, uh, that part was like, I was like, that's a really good hiding spot. And then she just falls on her own. And I'm like, I feel like she had a pretty good grip on that. And she like just kind of changed her grip. Yeah. It's not like it was round. Yeah. I can understand if it was round and you started to slip. It was square. Yeah, like she, she should have been fine. Yeah, lying flat on that, she would have been okay. She could just hit out there all night until help came. I don't, I don't know why she moved because I don't think he was going to look up. Yeah, no, he, I feel like he didn't have enough neck to look up because he's he was all like bumpy and deformed and stuff. Like he didn't look like he was going to be able to look up. Yeah, but I, I will tell you this though, I did appreciate the quick Godzilla cameo. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> when we saw that in the Fangoria that she's yeah. reading in the hammock. 25 years of Godzilla. Yeah. The poster. And here's a fun Godzilla fact for you. The poster on the other side of the page is Godzilla versus Megalon. And it, the the movie poster for that movie was Godzilla and Megalon standing on top of the World Trade Center. Each one of them is standing on a different one of the two buildings. And none of that movie takes place in New York. So <laughs> that's just, it's just the poster. 
Okay. Well, I'm very happy for you. Yeah, it's a fun Godzilla fan. But like, we're talking about the deaths. Speaking of, we're talking about. But did you know? So they had to change some of the deaths and like kind of reshoot them and such because they were too realistic. Which ones? You know what? I'm not sure, but I just watching this movie. None of these deaths look realistic. Like the blood is so obviously like faint, like faint, fake. I don't know how faint was fake. I think thick and fake and taint. I don't know. <laughs> well, that one dude gets stabbed in the taint. So. Yeah, that's oh, what a, that's that reminds me of Terrifier. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's definitely not a good way to go. That would be a really rough way to go. But the deaths themselves, like as much as they're, they are creative, like him getting split in half during the splits and then her being like stabbed in the hammock and everything, like a call back to the first one. And just every, everything did seem there's a lot of creativity to it. But like, I felt like did a really good job bringing something new. Cause like when you're on the third movie beyond 3D, you do still have to bring something new to the table. You can't just rely on, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you have the yo yo going right at the camera like which literally happens or the burnt popcorn literally flying at your face burnt popcorn okay i i gotta i gotta point this out because the name of this podcast is burnt popcorn when they're making the popcorn yeah there is literally a moment where the girl she's got the popcorn in a bowl and she dumps an absolute shit ton of salt on it yeah and it was just like no what are you doing <gasps> i That's, love salt i but- like salt on my popcorn but no. that was like way too much it was like half the cup of salt yeah it was it was a lot yeah one of the things like that uh when to defend herself she has to pull a knife out of one of her friends yeah which is crazy and the fact that she fought back with it was great but like, could you imagine? Like, no, I don't want to imagine. That's 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 awful. And um, I'd want you to pull a knife out of my back to save yourself. Well, I appreciate that. One thing I noticed because Jason is like he is pretty menacing in this film. Obviously, like Jason is always pretty menacing. Does a good job. Him walking down that spiral staircase, though, not menacing. No, that was a little weird to watch. Be like, huh? Jason just meandering down a spiral staircase, not menacing. The funny thing is, is this one, because he's not quite super zombie yet, he like he runs, he like books it after people and stuff, Yeah, which is like when I think of Jason, I think of he doesn't walk, but he like speed walks after you. Right. Yeah. And and then he always manages to catch you kind of a thing. But in this one, he's straight up sprinting after people. Yeah, he's coming for you. And but like that's the thing, like that final scene, the tension is really good. And again, it's another scene where like he's he's coming for her and it is pretty tense. And then like, she's obviously like she defeats him and she does a good job. It's a little clunky with her trying to put the thing over his, like the rope over his neck and everything, like the way it's acted in a shot. But like, you know, she does win, but like, obviously I like how they, they show it obviously has messed her up like right away, which I think harkens back to a bit of what they wanted to do with the Jenny character from the second movie, Mm -hmm. because like, I really like, again, because there's a lot of callbacks to the first one, but when she escapes into the canoe and Mrs. Voorhees pops up out of the water and it's just a dream, but like, you know, and she freaks out and screams like that, that seemed to me, I always really liked it because like, it's not real, but it's a really interesting kind of way to tie it back to the first one with, you know, his mom is still part of it, but that's the only part she plays in the whole movie. Unlike the second one where it's very important that like, her visage is the thing that drives him. 
actually, now that I think about it, why would she have even known about the mother at all? In when she has that, like, well, remember, she was originally attacked by Jason years ago in the woods, and it has nothing to do with his mother there either. So, no, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it seems really weird. She has no idea. She just knows, like, oh, this is that freaky guy who, who attacked me before. Yeah, which is really funny because there's that peekaboo moment where he's like, haha, and she's yeah. like, it's you, and he's like, haha, <laughs> like, yeah, there's some. Like for such a menacing character, he does a couple things in this movie that are just more goofy, which yeah. I don't think really comes into play anymore uh, going forward. No, no, but... it's like pure hockey mask menacing. It after that, right, right, yeah. I do like even though in this movie too, because he gets the machete in the head, it immediately gets the notch in the hockey mask. Yeah, too, which it, they it's... carry the notch forward. Yeah, which is great. Movies. And then as the movies go on, the mask gets like dirtier and more cut up and scuffed up and everything, which is nice that they. Despite all the different continuity errors this movie has, the mask, the continuity on the mask is quite good. Mm -hmm. Something we haven't talked about yet, and I think this is what we should wrap it up with. I agree. Is the 3D. Yeah. Now, we watched it. We watched it in 2D because it it just didn't seem like we should watch the whole thing in 3D. But we went back after we finished watching the movie to all of the scenes where it's like the yo-yos and stuff like that. Eyeballs. Yeah. To, to see how good the 3D was with the cardboard glasses that we were talking the about DVD earlier. Because the DVD comes with a couple pairs of the 3D glasses. That are hockey great. masks, which is yeah, great. Yeah, they're fantastic. So if you track down that specific DVD, you'll get some cool 3D glasses with it. Yeah. So- I saw the 3D, but you had trouble with it. You know what? And like we both wear glasses and we both have very different. We're both nearsighted. You're actually nearsighted and farsighted now because you're an old man and you need bifocals. Let's not get into that. <laughs> but some, but it did work better for you. I found I had to hold the 3D glass, like glass, plastic over my glasses and then angle both at such a way to get the 3d to i had to pull my glasses out slightly and lift them off my nose and really just angle them just right because otherwise it was just double vision of blue and red yeah see like even even the scenes where they were just standing there not even when anybody was like holding things into the camera that stuff all popped out to me once i got the angle right it did and but at the same time the film the entire film has that blue and red grain to it yeah like yeah things pop but it's also harder to see some things yeah because so i'm it's happy all blue and red yeah I'm, I'm i'm very happy that we we watched the movie in regular just, oh i would have five minutes in been like nope yeah this is over but yeah. it was good to go back and see a couple of the we watched the yo-yo scene we watched the juggling scene mm-hmm. you know we watched a couple the eyeball scene eyeballs yeah like couple like when we watched Vera's death because that one's got a good 3d moment with yeah, the, the with spear the gun one. and it is I, I agree. Like for what it was at the time, it was pretty well done. I didn't realize 3D movies had been coming out for like 30 years before this, though. I thought they were like a 70s invention. Yeah, no, back in like the 50s and stuff. Yeah, I had like no idea. Weird movies about giant ants and stuff. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I just this is kind of one of my earliest movie experiences with 3D. I mean, there's a lot of movies from this time because this was like the the 80s resurgence. Like, there's a yeah. Jaws movie that's in 3D that yeah. came around this time. Jaws three. Jaws 3D. Anything that was a three had to be 3D. Yeah. So it's it's good that we that we were able to watch some of that stuff. It, it adds some entertaining context when you watch the film with without the 3D effects, and then you watch them. You know, I love I love 3D movies where you're not watching it with 3D and their things are popping at the screen. Though I think it's so much fun. Well, isn't there? I forget. I feel like there's a comedy where they they say that it's in 3D, even though it's not, and they like do just dumb things. I feel like it might be an Austin Powers movie. Maybe (laughs) it feels like the kind of jokes that they'd pull. 
or maybe it's in Spaceballs. I don't know. Spaceballs <laughs> could work. Any any of these movies? Yeah, no, I I feel like for the time the 3D actually was pretty good, but I and I I don't like watching 3D movies now either to be honest with you. Like we you know that. Like yeah. if we have the option not that we're going to go to the theater anytime soon, but like I I won't watch a movie in 3D if I have the option to watch it in 2D. Yeah. Find my eyes just aren't suited to it. Yeah. But I get like visual like cued migraines and stuff too, so it's uh it's not for me. Yeah. It's a good thing those 3D TVs went out of date. Out of style. Yeah, exactly. It's all 4K these days. 4K, which we do not have. Nope. And it's, it's already on to 8K. Oh, boy. Yeah, the future good thing we is skip, here. Good thing we skipped 4K then. Yeah. What was the point of 4K if we're already in 8K? You know yeah. what? Let's hold it for 12K. Okay, 12K it is. <laughs> the future is here. Woo! Well, that was our thoughts on on the movie. There was plenty there. This is funny because I actually thought about this. I, I've said before on the show that if I'm really enjoying a movie, I don't write as much. And I feel like in this case, it wasn't true because I wrote a ton about Same. this movie. I, th- I feel like that that only comes into play when I'm watching a comedy because mm. I don't want to miss the jokes. Gotcha. So, Because both of the movies that I've done that for on this list have been Austin Powers and Billy Madison. Those were the ones that I wrote but down barely anything because I was really craft. paying attention. The craft, I had nothing to say about the craft. <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's move on. Let's go back to 1982 where we can hear about what the critics thought about this movie. Why don't you fill us in on some past reviews, Laura? They did not like it. This is by far the lowest movie, both critically and audience score that we have looked at. It's got an 11% <laughs> from critics and 42 from audiences. Linda Gross of the LA Times wrote at the time, ironically, Friday the 13th Part 3 is so terrible that Friday the 13th Part 1 and Friday the 13th Part 2 don't seem so bad. <laughs> Gene Siskel actually had some praise for it. Normally, we we talk about Mr. Ebert, but it was Siskel's turn on this one. Uh, he said, and a lot of critics actually said the same thing, that the impressive 3D effects. Of course. And he also liked its slow burn approach, which I did as well. It wasn't all just hack and slash. Like, there's a very much you don't really get into slasherness of this movie until near the end, which is, I, I thought was well done and works well. And TV Guide also liked the 3D, but concluded it's still trash. Nice. Nice. Well, you know what? Trash can be good. You I can, agree. You can in, trash can be very enjoyable. I'm like a little raccoon. Sometimes I like trash. <laughs> I feel like we, you should go second on this because this was your movie. Yeah. But for me, this is this is. I almost said burnt popcorn, which no! is not. This is a double butter. This is yeah. I had a great time. Like it's it's. Uh, it is an '80s horror film. The parts of it are very slow. But the parts of it that are very, you know, that are actiony, even though the effects are dumb, like like Rick getting his head squished is a terrible effect these days. I'm sure back in the day it was, you know, cutting edge crazy. Audience was going, ah! oh no! But it's entertaining. Yeah, and I had a great time watching this movie. So it's double butter for me for sure. Same, like fully double butter. Like the first, the first one in this series is. Really good. The second one, good. Third one, good. Fourth one's okay. Once you start getting into the, like, he's just a zombie and such, and they're just, like, really shallow. Like, you've got, like, the impersonator and all that stuff. They're just, like, bottom of the barrel. But they're still fun. This one, this one is, like, top tier. It's a really good movie. And, like, I, like it is a good movie for what it is, obviously. Like, it's not, you know, going to be out there with, like, 
your Academy Award winning movies in terms of good, but it's fun. And it is standout in all the things that like, again, watching it being like, oh, oh, so that's where they what they were doing in this movie when they were doing a I don't want to say parody, but an ode to an homage Mm -hmm. is to this movie. It is like a really good because it's not, you know, campground with like campers where they're like small little like huts camping or tents or anything like that. This is, you know, a group of early 20s adults in a vacation cabin, a really nice vacation cabin together. And it's a little different and it's fun. And yeah, double butter for sure. Yeah. I really enjoy it. So probably it's probably my favorite of the series. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good it, it, I feel like it's a good one to have as a favorite. Yeah. But that is going to do it for this episode of Burnt Popcorn. Go ahead and find yourself a copy of Friday the 13th Part 3 if you haven't seen it before. But for this week's episode, though, I have been Mike. I'm Laura. And next week... Are you excited? I'm so know? excited. I love the suspense of finding out what I get to watch next week. Okay, so this is here's my reasoning here. I'm gonna go into it because it's just you know I like to I like to. Does it fit it. the criteria? It fits the criteria. Okay, it is a hundred percent a number one at the box office film. Okay. I check this out. So I wanted to to we we fe- we spent a lot of time out of the episodes that we've done so far. Like this is the seventh episode. Most of the episodes have been in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get out of the 90s, but I didn't quite do it. So we're 1990. Okay, fair. I wanted to hit a science fiction film. Okay. Because we haven't done any science fiction yet. And I wanted to hit a Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, boy. Total Recall is going to be our film next week. Okay, I'm really excited. I like, I remember, okay. I I was about to say, I know I like Total Recall. And that's the whole point of this podcast is I remember liking Total Recall, not the remake. The remake is hot garbage. And not the good kind of garbage that little trash pandas like, <laughs> which, you know, I am, but uh, it, it's just awful. But I, I remember really enjoying the original Total Recall. So, no, I'm really excited. Yeah. yeah. Watch so, me be like, no, hon, this is burnt popcorn. <laughs> I feel, I can't remember the last time I watched it, but it's been, it's been a, a long it's time. It's been a few years. I think it was one of the first movies we, you talked me to watching together in our apartment because I hadn't seen it. So, this is like the exact opposite of this. I hadn't seen this movie. Until we were living together. There you go. So, so it's, yeah. the whole thing's flip-flopped. Yeah. In Canada, the whole thing's flip-flopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Next week, we'll be talking about Total Recall. So we hope you'll join us on our next episode. But until then, we'll talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>